Well, here we are, week two at God at the Box Office Gatbo. Again, it's our favorite series of the year, every year. And if you're new to Faith Church or new to Gatbo, again, it's why do we do it? Last year, this huge, almost Las Vegas show-style opening. This week, a video, our creative team went out, put a lot of ton of effort in. The next couple weeks, again, just creative elements. Why do we do what we do? At the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're creating an atmosphere where people want to come, not so we can give them all the show and the lights and the haze. We want to give them Jesus. But really, part of what we do and why we do it is, if you look, Jesus, one of the ways he taught was he used parables. Jesus used things that were very common in culture to teach spiritual principles. And we believe that really movies, in a large part, are modern parables. If you dig in and you're paying attention, oftentimes there are principles that are taught, not always godly principles, but we like to find different movies and kind of pull out some of the principles that are taught so we can figure out how to walk out this thing called faith. Jesus doesn't want you just to show up and sit down in a church service, listen to some guy speak and go home. God wants us to be changed by his spirit and by his presence. So we walk out of this place and we live changed. Come on, somebody. So we are in week two of Gatbo, and we're looking obviously at the movie The Wizard of Oz. Any, anybody fans of The Wizard of Oz? Uh, I mean, man, really, it is truly one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, maybe even better than that. Then The Wiz came out. Nobody, nobody did it better than Michael Jackson. Anybody fans of The Wiz? I mean, either side. But I remember as a kid watching The Wizard of Oz, and uh, there's some scary characters in that movie as a kid. I'm just curious, who, who, who scared you the most? Lawrence Berg, raise a hand. Who scared you the most? Was it The Wizard of Oz? Right when he first showed up, I remember as a kid seeing that. That was kind of frightening. Or who was it? Maybe was it the Wicked Witch of the West? How many people, when you saw the Wicked as a kid, maybe you're still scared. I don't. It's okay. But for me, it was the Flying Monkeys. I don't know if you happen to notice because he's hanging pretty high. It's up also in the Lawrenceburg campus, part of uh, our build out. You'll see we actually have some Flying Monkeys in our lobby spaces. And uh, when we were putting them up, one of the young children of one of our staff was like, that's scary. <laughs> we're like, that's exactly what we want to accomplish at church is scare little children. <laughs> but the Flying Monkeys, but it's a great movie. Obviously, I know many of you have probably watched this movie. You've seen it many, multiple times. If you've not watched it, I would encourage you to lean into it. But at the end of the day, it's a story about this young girl, Dorothy. And uh, she gets caught up in a tornado with her little dog, Toto, and gets translated to this amazing place called the Land of Oz. And the entire movie really surrounds itself with this task that she wants to get home. She just wants to find a way home. And because there are so many obstacles in her path of finding her way home, I mean, right as you watch the movie, she gets there, immediately the house lands on the wicked witch. She hopes the good witch can help her get home, and she can't help her get home. And so she's disappointed and she gets sent to see uh, the Wizard of Oz, and there's all these disappointments along the road. She gets to the wizard, and she can't get in to see him, and she finally gets in to see him, and he puts another task. She has to get the broom of the Wicked Witch, and she goes, and they finally kill the Wicked Witch and bring the, uh, bring the broom, and now the wizard says, come back tomorrow, and that's the clip we just saw. And then she finds out that the great and powerful Oz isn't really great and powerful after all. He's just a man behind the curtain. And so she's disappointed again, and finally the wizard says, hey, I can still get you home, and most of us remember the scene where the balloon takes off without her. The movie of The Wizard of Oz is a movie about disappointments. And I just want you to know, wherever there are hopes and dreams, there's going to be disappointments. And that's not just something we find in the movie. Most of us, we know this. This is true in life. 
In fact, if you're taking notes, this is what we're going to talk about today is the disappointments. It's what often fills the gap between our expectation and our experience. We live life with these expectations. We live life in all that we do, many of our relationships and interactions. We have a certain expectation of what's going to happen. And when our experience falls below our expectation, that's where disappointment sets in. Come on, everybody say disappointment. All of us experience disappointment. In fact, the greater the gap between our expectation and our experience, the greater the disappointment, right? If it's only missed the mark a little bit, if your, if your food got served just a little bit late, it's just a little bit disappointing, but the rest of the meal's good, the service is good, you're not very disappointed. But again, if there's a big gap, Facebook, in large part, has just become a place where people express their disappointment in people, politics, uh, and, and uh, in places they eat. Right, that's all it is. People, I'm not going to be honest, a lot of y'all just whining and moaning. You just need to stop. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. I mean, just everybody's complaining, you know, that they had this experience. I had this expectation. I took my car to this place, and they charged me more. It took too long. And again, what we're saying is this is what we expected to happen. This is what we thought happened. This was our reality. This was our experience, and now I'm disappointed. We went to the restaurant. We voted in these politicians. We thought Washington would do this. We thought this mayor would do this. This governor would do this. And right, all of us in this room, we're experiencing disappointment across the spectrum of life. One of the places that we see it play out the most, again, the gap between our expectation and our experiences in marriage, in our relationships. Come on. A lot of times we marry somebody because we have this expectation of them, of who they're going to be to us of how they're, right, our knight in shining armor, how this is the, the woman God made for me. And come on, all of us know that sometimes our spouse lets us down, and when that gap happens, that's where disappointment happens. I'm going to tell you, my wife, she's incredible. She, she makes life really, really easy for me, and somehow I still find a way to climb under the bar. <laughs> so how many of you like when you're women, how many of you like when your man or your husband does something nice or good for you? Wave at me. Now, don't wave at me. Look at them and wave at them. Just so you know, this is who we're talking about. My wife is so, she does this so well, and you may not think this is great, but it, she makes it so easy. Let me get on the man side. Women, just tell your man what you want. We can't decode you. We can't crack you. We don't understand you. You speak language with, we don't understand. Come on, man, I got on your side. Y'all just left me out there. You looked at your woman's like, I don't know what he's talking about. So my wife is so wonderful. She does this thing. She'll do this a couple times a year. She'll do this all the time where I'll just get a text and it's just a picture of something she wants. I mean, can it be all I got to do? I don't even have to go anywhere. I got to do go to Amazon, have it shipped to my house, give it to her, and I'm in the good. It's about to go down. Come on, somebody. And she did it all. But she recently sent me a picture. This just happened yesterday of some Birkenstock she wanted. And when I saw the picture of some Birkenstocks, my first thought was, you already got like nine pair of Birkenstocks. Come on, women. You got some shoes going on. And apparently, my, my, my thought and her thought was not the same. So she actually got me yesterday. She came out. She's like, I got this outfit on. You know what would look good with this? Now, I got this picture like two weeks ago. I said, what? She's like, those new Birkenstocks I wanted? Where are they at? And I was like, I think they're still in the warehouse because, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You could tell, you could tell, right, that her expectation and her experience, what she hoped would happen with what really happened, there's a little bit of disappointment. All of us in this room from time to time, we experience disappointment. 
In fact, where I want to lean into our conversation today is, I want you to think about this. Faith, in essence, is expectation. Our faith is an expectation of who God is, of who we believe God to be, of what we believe God will do, of how we believe God will interact and involve himself in our life. It's faith that causes us to get up in the morning and believe that, that God is our shepherd, that we shall not want. It's faith that causes us to believe that he'll lead us beside still waters. It's faith that causes us to believe, come on, that, that God is with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. It's faith that causes us to believe that, come on, he's in us and he's with us and he's for us and he's fighting our battles. Come on, does anybody here have faith that we serve a big God? So faith is this capacity, it's this expectation that we live with that God is moving in our situations, that God is moving in ways that we don't see or understand, that, that God is for us. But here's the question, what happens when your expectation of God doesn't meet and match your experience with God? I would venture to say all of us in this room in Florence and in Lawrenceburg, all of us have had or sensed or walked in this season of disappointment with God where we felt like God didn't meet our expectations, God didn't show up, God didn't come through. What happens when what you think should happen doesn't happen? A lot of us, like we're in this season right now where, you know, we thought our marriage would get better and it didn't get better. We thought the relationship would get better and it didn't get better. We thought the job would get better and it didn't get better. We thought our financial situation would turn around and it didn't turn around. We thought God was going to open a door. We thought God was going to make a way. Some of you in this room, you are sick or you have a loved one who's sick and it's not getting better and the doctors aren't giving you any hope. And so even though you hear scriptures of God's our healer and God's our provider and, you know, God's a restorer, you're not seeing that in your relationship. You're not seeing that in your resources. You're not seeing that in your home. And the more we have that expectation, the more we walk in what doesn't change, the more our disappointment picks up. What do you do when what you think should happen doesn't happen? Again, all of us go through these seasons of disappointment in our faith. And I just want to lean into this story because the theme of disappointment is a pretty uh, prolific topic throughout Scripture. In fact, you'll find that there's a lot of people that go through these seasons of disappointment, seasons where they're expecting God to do something really incredible. They're expecting God to show up, expecting God to come through, and it doesn't happen the way they think, when they think. And so they go through these seasons of discouragement and disappointment. And so I want to lean into one of these conversations. It's a guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, if you don't know really who he is, he's not Baptist. It's not like there's John the Baptist and Martha the Methodist. It's John the Baptist because he's a baptizer. That's what marked his ministry was he was a pretty profound character. He was actually a cousin of Jesus. And he steps on the scene and he was really this fulfillment of prophecy that there would be somebody before Jesus. Jesus came as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. But there would be somebody who would come just in front of him. And he would be this guy who would make a way for the Lord. Basically, he'd be the guy announcing Jesus, the Messiah coming. He would be the guy getting people's hearts ready to receive Jesus. And so he came and his primary message was repentance, which I'm going to be honest, is not always a really popular message. If you don't know what repentance is, in modern terms, it's stop it. <laughs> and so he shows up and he starts preaching repentance. He starts to everybody around him. For people to repent of their sin and to turn their hearts to be open. Because once you realize you're broken, hurting, and wrong, then you can be open to be healing, restored, and made right. And so he comes preaching repentance. And, 
He's this really profound character. He's incredible in scripture. And he steps on the scene. And some of you know this story, right? At this time, he goes in and he starts preaching pretty hardcore against sin. In fact, he does what's really unpopular today. He did back then. He started going public against people's personal sin. He was putting people on Facebook blasts. He was naming them. He was tagging them. He was highlighting them. Like, it wasn't like, hey, I think we as a culture should do less of this. Like, he was like, no, you, and he would put their name. And one of the people he called out in this time, well, let me let me back up and say this. I, a lot of us are afraid to speak truth to our friends because we're afraid of getting canceled. He got killed. He laid down his life. Some of us are afraid of losing our reputation. And I'm telling you, it takes a real friend to get up in somebody's grill in business and say you're out of line. If you're calling yourself a Christ follower, you're going down the wrong path. It doesn't mean we're judgmental and mean, but it does mean we care enough to call people. Come on, y'all got to help me. I need a friend to say, hey, you're out of line. You're out of order. You're dishonoring God. Because sometimes we can get down a path and convince ourselves that right, and we can be deceived by the enemy. If anybody can be deceived, we can be deceived. And sometimes we need a friend to come and speak truth to us. Come on, somebody. And that's who John the Baptist was. But John the Baptist, he puts himself out, and he puts the king on blast. The king at that time, he was a client king, which means Rome was the empire. But Rome, the way they ran the empires, they would allow these little political leaders to kind of rule. As long as they did it Rome's way and Rome got their cut of taxes, they would allow these people to rule. Well, one of the people who was in rulership was this guy by the name of King Herod. Everybody shout Herod. Herod. Herod was the guy, if you follow either world history or biblical history, they're really one and the same, just once highlighted. King Herod was the king. Come on, Lawrenceburg. He was the king in power over Judea when Jesus was born. And some of you remember, he, his, this idea was that Jesus was born, that this king was coming. And so King Herod was so threatened that there was a king that was going to come and potentially displace him that he had every child two years and younger killed. Because he didn't want any competition. So King Herod, the dude, was crazy. But he had kids, and he was so proud of his name, he named all of his sons Herod. True story. Anybody remember, uh, <laughs> anybody remember George Foreman? George, some of you like, it's, I feel bad for the culture we live in. Some of you hear George Foreman, and you think a grill and burgers running grease off. The George Foreman grill. I remember George Foreman, the amazing boxer, fought one of the greatest fights of all time, the Rumble in the Jungle against Muhammad Ali, lost in the eighth round against one of the greatest boxers of all time. Anyways, if you don't know this, George, uh, uh, he names all, he has five sons, and they're all named George, and a daughter, Georgette. I mean, I'm saying when you're proud of your name, like, just give it to everybody. Well, this is what Herod did. So King Herod named all of his boys Herod. This is important. Everybody track with me. In fact, the name Herod was so prolific that even one of the nieces gets called Herodias. I know, isn't that bad? You know she got beat up in ninth grade. That girl lost her lunch money every day. So everybody's Herod. All of the sons now are Herod. Well, eventually, one of the Herods, so Herod the Great, when Jesus was born, he dies. Well, this girl, Herodias, she ends up having an affair with one of her uncles, Herod Philip. Herodias has an affair with her uncle, Herod Philip. Herod Philip goes off and leaves. He's got to go on this political journey. So she gets tired of waiting at home alone. So she goes and has an affair with her other uncle, Herod Antipas, and ends up marrying him. And you think your family reunions are crazy. <laughs> now, I don't know if you catch how wrong this is, but a niece sleeping with two of her uncles, come on, like, that doesn't even happen in West Virginia. 
I was going to say Alabama, but I'm here. Wow. I'm just saying, bro, it happens. So things are crazy. So watch this. So John the Baptist, he calls it out. He publicly calls this out as sin. He names, he names Herod Antipas and Herodias. Hey, y'all are out of order. You're not honoring God. This is wrong. Come on. His message was repent. Everybody say repent. You need to repent. Yeah. Well, Herod, he doesn't like that he's getting called out publicly, so he has John the Baptist arrested and thrown in prison. Are y'all tracking? Here's where the story picks up. In Matthew, it says this, Matthew chapter 4, it said, when Jesus heard that John was arrested, he left Judea and... Now stop. So Jesus hears that his cousin... The one who came to make a way, a path open for him, the one who is preaching repentance, like he hears this one that he's close to, this one that God has also been using. He hears that he's in prison and he does what? I mean, I'm not going to show you yet, but we would think, and Jesus went to visit him. And Jesus got his 12 boys and they went and broke him out. And Jesus sent John a cake with a file in it. And Jesus sent John a care package with, you know, I, I don't know, peanut butter, because everybody wants peanut butter in prison. I don't know what that is about. <laughs> like, what, would, what do you think? If you're John the Baptist, and you've been arrested for doing what you're called to do, and now you're arrested and you're, and you're in prison, and God hears about it, Jesus, God in the flesh, he finds out about it. What do you expect God to do when you're in prison? I expect God to come break me out. Well, that's not what happens. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested and left in Judea, he returned to Galilee. Now, I don't imagine many of us in this room or in Lawrenceburg, you know probably the geography of the Middle East, but let me put it this way. Here's Judea. John was arrested and put in prison down here. Jesus leaves here and goes here. He goes the opposite direction. He doesn't run to John. He doesn't give John a shout out. He doesn't go and help John. He literally goes the opposite direction. And this isn't the only time Jesus does this. There's another story in the New Testament where uh, this guy by the name of Lazarus, who is a close friend of Jesus, gets sick, gets so sick he's about to die. Watch this. Here's how that story goes. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So this isn't like an average anybody. Jesus, a close friend of yours, is sick. Well, what would Jesus do if he finds out you're sick? Well, he would heal you. Jesus is going to send you some help. It's not what happens. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two more days. See, what I'm telling you is when, when you look and see how Jesus responds to some of the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and the struggle that people are going through, you think he would swoop in and do what they expect, but their experience is something different. And the gap between our expectation and our experience is always disappointment. And if we're honest in this room, if we're really honest enough to say it, some of us are disappointed with God because he's not coming through the way we think he should come through. He's not doing what we're praying. He's not showing up the way we think he should show up. He's not on our calendar. He's not doing what we're telling other people. Here's what I think God's going to do. He's not even doing what other people are telling us he's going to do. What do you do what happens what you what you think should happen doesn't happen how do we manage the weight of disappointment how do we bear the struggle when we think God is faithful and we don't feel like he's faithful and we think God's going to come through and he doesn't come through again there's always these gaps there's always these these struggles that we wrestle with 
I wonder how many of you in this room, again, are in that place where you've been expecting God to show up, expecting God to come through, and he's not. Have you ever been disappointed because your expectation of God was so different than your experience? I'm just just curious. Who would be honest enough to to raise your hand and say, you you got some gap in your faith? I've I've been asking God, been praying, been believing, been hoping, and somehow God's just not coming through. How do we manage How do we manage the disappointment when we go through those seasons? When you go through this, here's what you find about John the Baptist and his story plays out. Is John had incredibly high expectations. Again, you got to realize John was, he was miraculously born. His parents were really too old, much like Old Testament, uh, Abraham and Sarah. They really shouldn't have been able to have kids, but God miraculously blessed his parents. So he was a miracle baby. So you better believe he had high expectations. He wasn't just a miracle baby. Again, he's called to be a prophet. He's got this incredible ministry. I mean, he's, he's living life wheels off. Life really, in many parts up to this point, couldn't have been better. And all of a sudden, he gets arrested. But before that, man, it's like Jay-Z, real, recognized, and real. He recognized who Jesus was. When he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. He said, that's the Messiah right there. When, when Jesus saw John, you know what Jesus said about John? This is crazy. When Jesus saw John one day, he pointed to John. He said, there's nobody ever, there's nobody ever been born than greater than that man right there. So you better believe John's like, uh-huh, come on. And then he gets arrested and put in prison. The one John is recognized by Jesus to be the greatest man ever born. And there's a gap that all of us face between our expectation and our experience, and we're left with disappointment. So then the story picks up. If you keep reading the Gospel of Matthew, again, we started in Matthew 4. This is now Matthew 11. And John the Baptist has not now been mentioned, has not been mentioned for seven chapters. For context, John the Baptist has now been in prison for two years. Jesus doesn't visit him. He's not mentioned by him. Jesus doesn't talk about him. Jesus doesn't send any messages to him. It's almost like you have felt it, like John is somehow forgotten. Here's where the story picks back up in Matthew chapter 11. It says, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach uh, in the towns throughout the region. And John the Baptist, watch this, John the Baptist, come on, read this with me, who was? It's like, hey, don't forget, remember the guy who was in prison in Matthew 4 two years ago? Like, this is the same guy we're talking about. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent disciples. So John sends messengers to Jesus. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. Everybody read this. Come on, Lawrenceburg, every voice. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? You know what he's saying? He's saying, is it always going to be this way? Am I always going to feel the way I feel? Jesus, are you going to keep disappointing me? Jesus, am I just going to be in prison forever? Because I keep thinking you're going to show up. I keep thinking you're going to break me out. I keep thinking you're going to topple the Roman Empire. I keep thinking you're going to displace the king. And Jesus, you're not, is it always going to be this way? Some of us in this room are living this season of life where that question is resonating in our hearts and our minds. Is it always going to be this way? Am I going to keep waking up in pain? Am I going to keep dealing with shame? Am I going to keep going through this broken marriage? Is it always going to be this 
this way, Jesus, because if it's always going to be this way, then I'm just, I'm just going to quit going to church. I'm just going to walk away. Why should I keep giving? Why should I keep serving? Why should I keep praying if nothing's going to change? God, is it always going to be this way? This is the heart. This is how you know the Bible's God's word. Listen to me. If it was written by man, if it was written by people just to convince a group of people to follow this invisible God who doesn't exist, you would never cast doubt or, or, or shadow or shade on that God. But the fact that one of the greatest men who ever lived, the greatest according to Jesus, was willing to say, are you the cat I should be following or do I need to look somewhere else? Because you are not coming through. If John the Baptist can feel the weight and express the concern of disappointment, it does not make you a bad person or even a bad Christian to somehow wrestle with disappointment. The question is, what happens when what you think should happen doesn't happen? And so John is wrestling in prison, and he asks this really, really profound question. I love Jesus' response. Watch this. Here's Jesus' response. Are you all ready for this? You're, you're not ready. I if you don't know the story, you're not ready for his response. Jesus told him, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. Well, what, what had his disciples heard and seen? Everybody read this with me. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and good news is being preached to the poor. I know y'all didn't catch it because you'd be making some noise if you got it. Here's Jesus' response. So watch this. John's in prison. He's disappointed because Jesus isn't doing anything about it. He sends messengers to say, yo, Jesus, what are you doing? If he could have texted W-R-Y-D, what are you doing? Jesus gives the message to his disciples. Go back and tell John all the amazing things I'm doing for everybody else. That's what he says. Does anybody else here hate it when you're going through a tough season? Everybody else is bragging about what God's doing for them. Oh, you ain't that way. I, I'm going to be honest. I hate it. Testimonies are great things in church until it's somebody else's testimony and you ain't got one. Man, I just lost my job. You just lost your job? Man, I just got a raise. I wasn't even expecting it. Man, they gave me a bonus too. I just went out and got me a brand new car. It's amazing. My husband just got a raise too. Did I tell you our kid just got straight A's and just made it? He's a start on the basketball team. Man, God's moving. Amen. Hallelujah. We're like, I will punch you in the face. You keep talking. <laughs> Come on. We love testimonies when they're ours. We don't like testimonies when we're going through a season of disappointment. And this is what, this is the message of Jesus. Hey, John, don't you worry about it because I'm showing up for everybody else but you. <laughs> what kind of message is that? How is that supposed to inspire John at all? The issue, watch this. This is so important. The issue isn't our experience. The issue sometimes, the reason some of us are wrestling the way we're wrestling, it's not our experience. It's our expectation. I know you keep waiting on God to show up and do what you think he should do and move on your schedule and move on your timeline. And you think he ought to, he ought to do this in my husband. He ought to change my kids this way. And he ought to change my, my boss's attitude. And he ought to show up and fix my family. And he ought to do something with my crazy pastor. God, here's my to-do list. You need to show up and do these things. And if you don't do these things, then I'm disappointed with you. The problem, the issue isn't our experience. The issue is our some of you have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of the God you say you serve. The issue isn't what he's doing or not doing. The issue is what you expect him to do and not do. 
I want you to notice again the question that John the Baptist asked. Watch this. Here's the question he asked Jesus. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? See, some of you got to church, and I mean, I get it. Sometimes you come to church in some of the worst seasons of life. You just got a divorce. You just lost a loved one. You just lost your job. You've gone through this difficult season, and somehow you're just looking for hope. Lawrenceburg, you're just looking for answers, and somebody told you that God is faithful. Someone told you God loves you. And a lot of times we come to church or we, we pursue God out of this season of desperation. Man, we're just looking for answers. And that's okay, but I want you to know something. A lot of times we bring those problems and we just think that God is going to fix everything the way we think they should be fixed. And again, when God doesn't show up and do what we think, when we think, we're disappointed in him. The issue, again, is not our experience. It's our expectations. John the Baptist was guilty of like many of the religious leaders of the day. They were expecting a Messiah that would come and topple the Roman Empire and put the Jews back in power in the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus didn't do what John thought he should do, he was disappointed in Jesus. And when Jesus said, hey, go tell John everything you've seen and heard. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was not rubbing it in John's nose. What he was saying was this. Go tell John, I'm doing everything I said I would come and do. I said I came to preach the gospel of the poor. That's what I'm doing. I said I came to set at liberty those who are captive. That's what I'm doing. I said I came to open the eyes of the blind. That's what I'm doing. Go tell John. He might be disappointed in what he thinks I should be doing for him, but go tell him I'm doing exactly what I came here to do. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, you serve a God who has a plan, who has a purpose, who has a mission, and it may not always be what you think, when you think, how you think. The good news is you are a part of his story, and he's working even when you don't see it. He's working even when you don't feel it. He's working even when it's not on your timeline. I'm I'm telling you he's got good news for you even when you don't think it's good news i'm telling everybody in this room everybody in lawrenceburg you serve a god who's good whose expectations are even higher than you think come on god is changing a world and so then jesus so john like gets this gets this question and just so you know john is never rescued from prison crate back on the herod boat Salome, the daughter of Herodias and one of her uncles, we're just not even sure. They never even made it on the Jerry Springer show to find out who was the father. We don't even know. Salome dances erotically for her uncle, dad. I mean, we don't even know what to call him. He's aroused by his granddaughter niece's dance so much that he's like, that was so good. I'm not going to give you some singles. What else do you want? Come on, that happens. And she's like, I want John the Baptist's head on a plate. And Herod Antipas murders John the Baptist. He is beheaded in prison. And you read that story. And sometimes you still ask, where's God? Why didn't God show up? Why didn't God come through? And Jesus is saying, I'm doing everything I came to do. I've never stopped doing it, and I'll keep doing it. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, God's working. He never stops. That should be a song. (laughs) He ends this way. Jesus says this pretty profound. And he added, God blesses. Here's what Jesus says at the end of this conversation. Everybody here read it with me, Lawrenceburg. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now I want you to think about how profound this statement is. So Jesus came, 
God's son came to planet earth to declare and give a picture and show who the father was, what God was like, to make a way through, by the cross of Calvary for us to reconnect with our creator, that our sin could be forgiven so we could find righteousness that we could never get on our own. It's a gift from God. And so you could have a relationship and I could have a relationship so all of us could have a relationship with God. And so he gets on this scene and like, this is why Jesus is here. This is why he shows up. And the very one who showed up to make a way says, I hope you don't stumble because of me. How can we stumble because of the one who came to save us? Because when you put an expectation on the God he never came to be, you'll always be disappointed by the experience you have. And so what's the solution to the stumble? He's saying, I hope you don't stumble because of me. What's the solution to the stumble? I think we just got to get back to the place. How can a, how can a God... How can a God who created you disappoint you? How can a God who made you from the dust of the earth disappoint you? How can a God who made you in his image disappoint you? How can a God who filled you with his presence disappoint you? How can a God who sent his son to die for you on the cross of Calvary, how can he disappoint you? Come on. How can a God who sealed you with his spirit disappoint you? How can a God who adopted you into his family, how could he disappoint you? How could a God who called you sons and daughters, how could he disappoint you? How could a God who promised to never leave you and never forsake you, how could he disappoint you? How could a God who lives in you, resides in you by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, how could he ever disappoint you? How can we be disappointed in a God who's done all of that? See, man, I think the issue, again, it's not our, it's not our experience, it's our expectation. And Paul, I think, gives us the solution. Disappointment you're taking notes can destroy our faith to develop our faith all of us are going to have disappointment and either it's going to move you it's going to strengthen your faith or it's going to destroy your faith now, how do we get there i want to read one verse y'all probably heard if you've ever been to a wedding you probably heard this verse it's first corinthians chapter 13 it's known as the love chapter the love chapter and Paul is describing what love is. Everybody, everybody just look at me. Just two, give me two more minutes. Lawrence, I want you to lean in. Everybody just, let me give you this. Paul is telling us, like, this is what real love looks like. This is what God's love looks like. And I want you to remember, your greatest call in life is not to go to church. It's not to give money. It's not to do good deeds. Your greatest call on earth, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And... Love your neighbors yourself. So our greatest call and our greatest command is to do what? Love. Everybody say love. And not just people, but God. And so when the apostle Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 13, he's not just telling us how to love each other. He's telling us how to love who? If our greatest commandment is to love God and he tells us what love is, I want you all to hear this and I'm going to close. Everybody read this. This is one verse in 1 Corinthians 13. Every, every voice out loud. Love Love, love, love endures through every circumstance. Some translation says it this way. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. That means when somebody does something crazy to you, instead of you assuming the worst, you don't assume the worst, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Let me just tell you just a real quick story. A long time ago, I was at a previous church. And I'm walking outside of the church, and I, I, I'll never forget this. There's a car sitting in the parking lot. I couldn't see inside of the car because of the sunlight reflecting off the windshield. So I had no idea anybody was even in the car. But when I came out of the church, there was actually a lady who attended the church sitting in that car. And she saw me. She's like, and you know what I did? Nothing. 
Now, her assumption was this. I saw her a few weeks ago, and I'm telling you, church people can be nasty. Not you church people. I'm talking about the mother church down the road. And I saw her, and I was like, hey, how's it going? And she was like, wouldn't even talk to me. I'm like, hey, what's going wrong? You know what's going wrong. I'm like, and I had no idea what she was talking about. I was sitting in church just a couple weeks ago, and I saw you came out, and I thought you was my pastor. And I waved at you, and you didn't even acknowledge me. And I told her, I said, I didn't even see you. I didn't even see you sitting in the car. So you see what happened? Instead of love giving the benefit of the doubt, maybe he didn't see me. That's why he didn't wave. She just assumed the worst of me. Maybe the next time God disappoints you, instead of you assuming the worst that he's angry at you or he's abandoned you, how about we give God the benefit of the doubt? God, because you adopted me, because you saved me, because you restored me, because you made me your son and your daughter, God, because you're good to me all the days of my life, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when it doesn't look like it, you're working. I wish somebody in this place would give God the benefit of the doubt that he's showing up and coming through. He may not do it in your time. He may not do it your way, but you're part of his story. Come on, I want us to sing this together. Come on, we serve a way making God. Come on, Faith Church.